One Hope Church. All right. Good morning. Matthew chapter 21. Um, it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. And so let's uh, continue on. Um, but we want to be thankful for all of our mothers that we have. So let's um, read Matthew chapter 21, and uh, we'll just read and, and get started and then take some time uh, to pray this morning. So it said, Matthew 21, verse 1, when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. (coughs) Then the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Um, So let's go to Lord in prayer. And Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We pray that as we read your word this morning, you would encourage us, inspire us, that help us to follow you in full love. Lord, um, you are so good to us. And so, Lord, we pray that this morning nothing would hinder um, our focus on you and our love and attention for you, dear God. We thank you most of all that you gave us your son, Jesus, as the Messiah, the Savior, the King, um, for all who would trust in him. We praise you in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, uh, <clears throat> we have this scene, remember, last week as we were in chapter 20, Jesus had told them, hey, we're going to go up to Jerusalem. You know, the Son of Man's going to be uh, you know, delivered over. He's going to be... Um, tortured, he's going to be crucified, um, that this is all going to happen. And, and even still, even though that was the third time Jesus had told them that, that we see in the book of Matthew, that they still don't fully get everything. And so we're working you know, on towards that end. And then um, you know, we have, as we continue on in this, we have this scene here where uh, Jesus sends a couple ahead to get you know, this, this donkey and this colt. So the donkey is the mother, you know, the colt um, is the, the, the smaller one, the, the daughter or, um, or the son of the, of the mother. And then um, they're going to go in to them and, and there isn't going to be a question. You know, the disciples are like, wait, you know, you want, you know, is this theft? Like, you know, what is this? And Jesus says, don't worry. Somebody asked you and you say, what it's for, like they're going to not give you any trouble. Um, that's the power that the Lord has. You know, he knows 
the, all the circumstances surrounding. He knows um, what, to, what their um, concerns may be before they're even there. And so he says, um, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. That's from Zechariah chapter 9. Um, verse 9, and so again, it's a, it's a prophecy that Jesus is um, fulfilling, um, and Matthew takes note of that. You know, Nat- Matthew, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, remembers the prophet Zechariah talked about this, and so I can, you know, give this here. And then in verse um, 6 through 9, we see the crowds, you know, putting out uh, their coats, I mean, and, and that's something, you know, you think about your coat, you think about, you know, in this time, you know, people didn't have, like, you know, just, just tons of extra clothing. You know, you, you had what was, especially common people, you know, they had what was necessary, but people didn't have it a, an abundance. You know, they didn't have the huge closets, you know, that people have today where it's like, you know, which of 20 coats am I going to pull out or, or whatever it is. You know, they had... Very limited. So for them, you know, this is going to be trampled. It might not be usable again. You know, it could get torn up, you know, muddy, dirty at at minimum. You're going to have to do a lot of work to clean it. You know, this isn't, you know, you you just go to the dry cleaners and drop it off. This isn't you put it in a machine and push a couple of buttons. You know, it's a lot of work. When your clothes got dirty, it's a lot of work to to clean them and to... uh, you know, to wash them, you know, and, and, and get them back um, in shape. And then they, you know, others cut branches, put those down, and they're shouting as the, all the crowd is shouting ahead and, be, and behind, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's from Psalm 118, verse 26. And you see this praise, you know, to God, again, fulfilling the Old Testament um, you know, prophets, uh, the law and the prophets. And, you know, when they enter the city, the whole city is stirred up saying, who is this? And they're saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And so with that, you see, you know, in this whole deal throughout the book of Matthew so far, there are some who recognize him fully for who he is. Fully for who he is and that he is, you know, the Messiah he is the son of David. He is the savior. He is the king. He is the promised one of hope, right? So there's some who get that. Others get that he's someone special, you know, that he's at least a prophet, you know, that he is a prophet, that they're going to put him in the same category that they would Jeremiah, Isaiah, you know, Elijah, Elisha, you know, maybe even more of the, the prophets like Elijah and Elisha who worked more miracles, that he would be in line of, you know, one of those type of of prophets. And then others, you know, thought he was a fake. He was a fraud. He wasn't anything. Um, and, and sought his destruction. Um, and, and, you know, the, and then there's this whole, whole group that's kind of, you know, going to just go with whichever way the, you know, the, the, the momentum is. Right? And, and you have that all the time in society. You know, the, most people are sheeple. You know, most people are just going to do whatever their surrounding culture does, and that's 
kind of it. You know, there's not a ton of thought process of evaluating, you know, or being forward thinking or being, you know, critical of. It's just going to do what the majority are doing. If the majority say he's king, he's king. If the majority say kill him, kill him. I mean, think about that contrast. You go from king to kill just based on what that the rest of the crowd, that crowd mentality is doing. So there's going to be some in this huge crowd that are, you know, saying these things that, you know, a little bit later down the road as we get further in at the trial of, of Jesus are going to be saying crucify him. You know, there's going to be some that are, not all, you know, but again, you know, you're going to have a group of people here that are just going to go along with whatever is the most, um, whatever seems to be winning. So then, um, as we look through this, Jesus continues, you know, throughout here in this, in this first part of chapter 21, continuing to fulfill the prophecies of the law um, and the prophets. And I don't want to take a ton of time here, but I do want to just address, you know, very briefly that there's, an, there's kind of this odd thing going around now where people are trying to separate the faith that we have in Jesus and in the Gospels like completely from the Old Testament. You know, in a sense of like, you kind of don't need that anymore. Okay, um, so there's some, some thoughts going on about that, but we need to remember to see the scripture um, as, as one big narrative. I mean, there's no, it's for good reason that throughout the New Testament, you have quotation after quotation after quotation from the Old Testament. You know, and, and Jesus is fulfilling, you know, these things, but to try to separate us completely from the Old Testament would be to separate us from the context of what Jesus comes into. And that's a, a, a dangerous thing. So you need to see the, the whole of the scripture, you know, from the creation in, that we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 to the culmination of events at the end of the book of Revelation. It's all one big story. It's all one big narrative. Right? Now... Depending um, on on where you are, parts of that story may apply more or less to you, depending on where you enter the narrative. You know, in the space time continuum. Okay, like you know, not to get too fancy here, but I mean, think about this: if you're born at the time of the exodus of the Hebrews out of Egypt. Like being that part of the narrative, like entering in there, being a Jewish, you know, Hebrew person born as that exodus is happening. Like that's a different context than being born in the United States of America as a Gentile today. Right. Like that's those aren't the same thing. And so parts of this of this narrative are going to apply to you in different ways. But at the end of the day, there's it's still the same God. From beginning to end, and faith in him is the difference. Is the difference. And that hasn't changed. And the reality of faith in him, and we'll see this as Jesus continues to teach throughout the book of Matthew here, that that faith in him, the reality of that faith in him, is determined by what? Obedience. 
to him. Those who have true faith, obey. Those who do not have true faith, do not obey. It's, that hasn't changed from Genesis to Revelation. You know, I mean, and, and Jesus is going to be really, really clear about that um, as we move along. But we need to think about that. You know, we're built on that same faith of Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Rahab, Ruth, Samuel, you know, the king of David and all the prophets. Like, we are built on that same faith. And then Jesus enters in verse 12. Read this, verses 13, 12 and 13. It says, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who are selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, for you are making it a robber's den. Now, when you read the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Mark is, you know, we think is a little bit more precise on the order of events where Matthew and Luke are putting things together in such a way to create pictures for you and to create contrast for you and, and to get you to think about Jesus and, you know, how we should think about him. Um, so not concerned quite as much about chronology as they are about um, the keys to the story. And so, again, I want you to have in mind this contrast of Jesus riding on this colt. Even as coming in as the king with the branches and Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna the highest. Like, all of that being said and all of the deal with that, he's riding on a colt. He's not riding in a chariot. He's not riding on a great horse. You know, like you see in Revelation, he is humble. This is a humble entry because, again, as king, his, his path to that, to the fullness of his kingship, is through the humility of his servanthood to be the lamb to be sacrificed for us. So this is kind of how it is if you think about it from the big picture from, back from creation. Christ, the Son of God, is... King, lamb, king. You know, lion, lamb, lion, and lamb, all at the same time. You know, um, and, and it's something that's hard for us to, to contrast, but, you know, have that scene in your mind of him lowly coming in, but then going into the temple, into the, you know, outer course of the temple, and he's driving out all those who are buying and selling there, He's overturning the tables of the money changers. You know, because people basically said, you know, because they weren't, you have to understand in that context, you know, people needed, you know, especially coming from other places to make their sacrifices, you know, especially coming from a long distance, they didn't necessarily travel with the animals, you know, necessary. They would look to buy, you know, one there. But these people aren't necessarily, you know, there's a markup. You know, we went to the Georgia Aquarium, you know, yesterday, yesterday uh, you know, for part of Micah's birthday stuff, and, you know, it was a great time, um, you know, but, but the markup in the cafeteria is like your lunch costs about as much as your ticket to get in, you know, like that's, I mean, there's a significant 
markup. Like a cookie is like three dollars. You know, I mean, a, you know, a Coke is four dollars. You know, you have that that markup because no other, you know, you, you you have it on your ticket there. It says no outside food or drink. Because once you're in here for four hours and you're hungry and you're thirsty, what are you going to do? Like, just to get water is going to cost you. Like, you know, I mean, you know, that, that's just how it, how it is. So it's kind of like this. It, it, you know, at this times, it's like you go in and now for this lamb or for these doves or whatever, you know, you've got to pay, you got, you got to pay this extra, this inflated price in order to have something to sacrifice. And then, hey, we, we're not going to take the outside you know, money, the money from whatever country you came from or whatever else, you know, you've got you've to have the right condiments. We need to change that. Well, your exchange rate, you know, you know you, it's like you go online, you know, like, what's the exchange rate? We're going on a trip, you know, going to Mexico. Was, oh, that looks pretty good. You know, okay, I, got, I know the number. And then you get there and you're like, I can't get that number. I can't get that number anywhere. I'm going to lose money as I make this trade. And I trade it back again with my change. I'm going to lose money again. But that's happening like at an inflated level like you're losing a lot of value like these people are profiteering off of worship you know there's one thing to cover your expenses and have enough to live you know there's another thing to profiteer and so and you know the scripture's clear servants worthy of his hire you know throughout scripture right like you know the the priest and and those in the temple, like, the system was designed to provide for their needs. It wasn't designed to make them, like, the uber-wealthy people of Israel. I think we say the same thing about, you know, the church today. God never designed it so, you know, preachers could afford private jets. Like, that's not, that wasn't part of the plan. Okay. Um, so what do you have here with this is Jesus making a statement he said my house should be called a house of prayer but you are making it a robber's den a robber's den a place of theft what do you say? it's supposed to be a place of worship a place of prayer you are making it a robber's den so that's a quotation. My house should be called a house of prayer from Isaiah chapter 56. And when it says that in Isaiah 56, it's a house of prayer for all peoples. Both Jew, the context there in Isaiah 56 is for both Jew and Gentile alike. So again, we have these contrasts. You have the humble riding on the colt. You have the powerful driving out you know, the buyers and sellers in the temple and flipping tables. Jesus is literally flipping tables tables he's angry he is angry he's a lamb he's a lamb he's a lion you know we saw this contrast in our house fellowship in revelation chapter 5 this last week that you know who else could could meet this full description of being the lion and the lamb at the same time who else could do this And we need Jesus to be this. Because when we look at the evil in the world and at the evil in our own hearts, we need a lion and a lamb. 
We need the lamb who died for us to offer for forgiveness for those who humble themselves and say, Lord, forgive me. But we need a lion to do justice for those who do not humble themselves, who, who spit at the sacrifice that Jesus made at the cross, who reject the sacrifice of his body and his blood, and who do evil in this world. We need a lion who will deal justly and give justice. And you know, when I was younger, because we're about to hit, in the house fellowships, you know, we're about to hit these scenes in Revelation of judgment that are like, oh, I mean, they hurt. As you read the passage, I mean, you've got heart. Like, they hurt you to read them. Like, they are intense. But when you go to an IJM meeting and you hear what's happening to people and to kids... When, you know, your friend calls you and says, this evil happened to my friends, what do I say to them? When you really look at the horror and the evil that is in our world, and, you know, we try to shield ourselves, and I think sometimes rightfully so, from, from all, of, all of that. But when you see it for what it is, Jesus, come quickly. Be the lion that you are. And the scripture tells us, because we have to be careful, because that evil can cause a cancer within us. You know, because when I hear these things, I want vengeance. I want justice. I want both. You know, I want all of it because people deserve it. The wickedness that is in our world, the wickedness that is in human hearts. And it's not, I mean, and we got to understand, like, it's not like just so isolated. You have places in this world where you have entire communities where a huge percentage of the men that are there would kill you for $100. And not think twice. I mean, there is a wickedness that is in our world. Has been in our world and is in our world in these days. And we need Jesus to come back and to deal with all of that. But the scripture, because the scripture tells us actually to give place for God's wrath. Think about that. Like as followers of Jesus, now this, because now, we always are talking about love. And we're always talking about forgiveness. And those things are, I mean, real. Okay? But let's not exor- ignore the scriptures that tell us it's, it's correct for followers of Jesus to have a righteous anger at evil and sin in this world I mean, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, it's, you know, we are to speak up for the poor and the oppressed, for the downtrodden, for those who are trodden upon, for those who are abused, for those who have no recourse. We are to stand for them.
And yet we're told in that to give place for God's wrath. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. How does he repay? Well, the person believes in Jesus, it's already paid for, right? That's where we need the lamb. Because make no mistake about it. it you know, your, heart's my, your heart, my heart, perhaps not as depraved, not as evil, not as sinful as many in this world. You know, let's not, let's not make it, you know, we make a mistake. I mean, yes, we all have a certain level of depravity. But we all don't have an equal amount of depravity. Okay? There's people in this world who have exercised their wickedness. And like anything, when you exercise and practice it, it grows and gets stronger. Just like righteousness, you exercise faith, your faith does what? It grows. You know, if you don't exercise your faith and you're still a true believer, well, you know, you, you just become unhealthy. Right? You just become unhealthy. But you exercise, your faith grows, it gets stronger. Same thing with evil, though. When people give into temptation and they commit evil, their capacity for evil grows. And it grows, and it grows, and it grows, because sin brings forth, ultimately, death. Like it, It's a growing thing. And so those in our world who have exercised, they have flexed out sin time and time again, their capacity for evil has grown and grown and grown. And their deadness to it has also increased. And so things that would make a normal person vomit, they laugh at. Things that would horrify, you know, one who hasn't, hasn't exercised that becomes not a big deal to see, to practice, to do. And that is what evil does. And so we need this lion to come back. And to set things straight to do his justice in the world but as the scripture tells us God is patient not willing that any should perish you know, but that all would come to repentance like that's the heart of God that's the, desire, the desire of God is always mercy it's always forgiveness but it has a point where it takes no more. And when we get there, literally, as we see in the book of Revelation, all hell is going to break loose. And it's going to be something that this world has never seen before. God is going to exact his vengeance. And he is going to crush the wicked in the winepress of his wrath. That's what the scripture tells us. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. But when you see wickedness for what it is, 
Maybe you become a little less uncomfortable. You know, and this is the, this is the issue. The, re- the reason that many people want to divorce the Old Testament from our faith because they don't want to have to deal with the hard things that are in there with God being a just God who exacts vengeance on his enemies. Guess what? You can't get away from that in the New Testament either. If you didn't have the Old Testament, God's still the same and it's still written there for you in the New Testament. This is what God is like and this is what he does. Now, you can take that or leave it, but if you're going to leave it from the Old Testament, you'll end up leaving it from the New Testament too. Like, don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself into thinking, well, if I just didn't have the old hard passages in the Old Testament to deal with, I'd be okay. Well, you still got the hard passages in the New Testament to deal with. And Jesus is the, you know, and that's where, again, the, the mindset of this hippie Jesus, hey, do we see him here? That's a small foretaste at the temple. Clearing it out. That's a small, tiny foretaste of what he does coming back the second time. Because he's the one that opens the seals in Revelation and unleashes that wrath. That's Jesus who does that. That's what the scripture tells us. That's what the New Testament tells us. So, Again, we all have a choice to take it or leave it, but it doesn't make any sense to leave it because of the Old Testament and try to keep it from the New. That doesn't make any sense at all. God's the same yesterday, today, forever. He hadn't changed. Your opinion about him might change, but he doesn't change. Because again, you have this. Verse 14, And the blind and the lame came to to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, and they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself. Psalm Chapter 8, verse 2. And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany and spent the night there. So again, look at that. Again, the hearts of those particular individuals that we see here in 14 through 17 that see the blind and the lame healed. They see the children shouting to the Hosanna to the son of David and they are indignant is they are jealous and they feel threatened and their way and their power structure and everything they know hangs in the balance and they don't like that and Jesus quotes an, another Old Testament passage to them again you can't get away from the Old Testament Psalm 8 two. the barren fig tree now in the morning, verse 18, now in the morning when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. 
Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. He said to it, No longer shall there be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. And seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, How did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered them and said to, said to them, Truly I say to you, have faith and do not doubt. You will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but you will even say to this mountain, Be taken and cast into the sea, and it will happen. And all the things you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. The power of Jesus, but he's also making a statement. You know, when what is you know, supposed to bear fruit does not bear fruit, it's lost its purpose. <clears throat> and again, has to be dealt with. So there's a there's more to that than just a fig tree. That fig tree is, you know, representative. Um, it's, and I think it's really representative here in the context as he's talking about the leaders of the children of Israel. You know, it, it's about their system and about their way of false worship that you know enables the the money changers and the you know, the den of thieves in the temple. Like all of that, Jesus curses basically. So that's going to have no use. That's, that's barren of good fruit. Because even from, I mean, from what was there, while Jesus is the fulfillment of the old, the old was supposed to still produce good. You know, it was, you know the, the temple was supposed to be a place where people from every nation could come and worship God without all, that, all those barriers and all of that mess. And so this, again, is, is a way that Jesus is saying you know, to the Pharisees and Sadducees, like, done with y'all. And, and we'll see that continuing in the next couple of chapters as Jesus really gives it to them. But th- this comes before that in a sense of done with y'all. And now... Verses 23 through 27. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And he also said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Because I mean, now, it, this is the thing about it here. You know, people will read this passage, you know, why didn't Jesus just tell them? You know, why didn't he just come, you know, I'm, I am, you know, the son of God, I am the savior, I am the king, I am this, you know, they, you know, maybe they would have believed him then. Jesus knows exactly who he's dealing with. He's dealing with foxes. You know, they're looking to trap him. They have no intention of faith, of belief in him. They have no intention of changing their mind about him. They've already made that up, like, the die has been cast in that regard. And so Jesus here is just going to outfox the foxes. It's basically just what he's going to do. 
you know, and, and we see this throughout. Um, you know, he's going to outfox the foxes. So we'll finish up, I think we'll just finish up at verse 32. Uh, so let's read 28 through 32. But what do you think? A man had two sons. So Jesus continues this conversation with him. You know, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. And the man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I said to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward, so as to believe in him. So again, you all saw the same thing. Those who had been living far from God and knew it, heard the preaching of John, they repented from their sins, you know, they, they turned from their false beliefs and they started to worship God, right? Now you saw this, you're supposed to, you know, you're the ones who are supposed to like be responsible to teach what is right before God. You're supposed to be responsible with the scriptures, of, you know, the law and the prophets. And you didn't. And even when you saw them repent, you, your heart still didn't soften. But, you know, this is an interesting thing that he says at the beginning with it that's kind of sticking with me today. You know, because those tax collectors, the prostitutes, you know, early in their lives, they're just saying, we don't have a need for God. We've got better ideas, better plans. We're going to live life our own way. But then they regret it. You know, they see that they've come to realize the futility of it. And so they turn, right? They make the change. And, they, and that's evident by what? Their changed lives. It's evidenced by their changed lives. The Pharisees, the scribes, they had said with their mouths, God, we will follow. We'll do all the things that show that we follow God. But because they didn't, because we see throughout the Gospels that their hearts were far from God, it was just words. So because it was just words, there was no true obedience. And because there was no true obedience, it's obvious that there wasn't any true faith. So that same lesson is still out there today. You have a lot of people who will say, Yes, God, you know, whatever you want, but then don't act on any obedience. Well, what is Jesus saying here about that? See, you know, basically Jesus is saying, you know, that's a false profession. If there isn't obedience, it's a, you know, and if there's no conviction for a lack of obedience, because I mean, you know, we all stumble. Jesus isn't saying, you know, you're going to be perfect. Jesus isn't saying you're not going to sin anymore. But, you know, when you sin, there's going to be a conviction of the Holy Spirit 
and a need for I need to be I need to confess that and to be right with God, right? I mean that's normative in the life of walking with Jesus. When we do things that offend Him, we know they've offended Him. Like we humble ourselves and say, Lord, Lord, I'm sorry I offended you. I mean that's even like just so basic. I mean you know Mother's Day, so you know mention marriage here. You know in a marriage if you have offend the one you're married to and you know you've offended them. Like, what sort of relationship is there if there's not like, I'm really sorry what I did offended you. Like, to ask for forgiveness. So if there's going to be a relationship with Jesus as we are the, his bride, when we offend him, Lord, I'm sorry, my, my actions, my words, my thoughts, my deeds, you know, I have offended you. In our relationship, like, forgive me, cleanse me. And he's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We start fresh again. But when there's not any of that, it's just words. It's a false profession. And Jesus... It's, as we continue, he's just going to show you where that leads and how his father deals with that. And so we need to consider these things about Jesus because when we see the fullness of Jesus in the Gospels, not just cherry-picking particular scenes that we like the most, but when we see the fullness of it all, we see who God is. You know, Jesus tells us, you know, that he, I mean, he's going to be perfectly consistent you know, with the Father. You know, people want to have this idea that's kind of like good cop, bad cop. Jesus is a good cop. The Father drops the hammer. Jesus is, you know, the Father's bad cop. Sort of, sort of you know, comparison, right? Jesus is the one who gives you mercy, and the Father is the one who's going to discipline you. Not what we see here. It's just not what we see here. We see that, you know, the, Jesus, the Son, is a perfect reflection of the Father. The character is not going to be any different. So again, it just doesn't make any sense to say, well... Yahweh, the God of Israel, as I see him in the Old Testament, I can't really handle that, but I can handle Jesus. That's just misunderstanding who Jesus is, what he's about, and what his character is. And I hope that with that, as we have a bigger as we get a bigger picture, and I think particularly as you get, you know, a little bit older and you see more of the evil in this world, you come to appreciate that. You know, I don't know that in my innocence as a child, you know, when like things seemed harsh and I didn't fully understand why God had to be a judge like he is. Because I didn't understand the fullness of sin. I didn't understand the fullness of wickedness. I don't expect my kids to be able to fully grasp and appreciate the justice side of God. Like somebody who's, who's been here for a few decades. And that's okay. You know, but again, it's a, 
we need to give that full picture in that mature, you know, just in that maturing process, we're going we're gonna to come to understand some new things. And I hope that it, we gain an appreciation as our understanding of God increases in its fullness, that we don't shrink away from that and say, well, God's harsher than I thought he was. No, praise God, he's more just. And his, just, his justness is based on his holiness and his love. And those can't be divorced. And that his preference is mercy. Because here's the reality. Yeah, my heart isn't depraved. Your heart isn't depraved as many people in this world. It's still depraved. It's still offended a holy God. It has still thought some really evil things. It's still been capable of a lot of bad. And I'm not worthy to be in his presence. I don't deserve his mercy. don't deserve his love. Those are gifts. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for you. Where his body was broken and his blood was shed at the cross for us. And we take that this morning and we say, thank you. Thank you that I get the mercy I didn't deserve. Thankful that you are merciful and you desire mercy. But also you can thank God this morning that he is just and that he will bring his justice. And you can say, Lord, come quickly. And do what needs to be done. There's nothing wrong with asking God for that. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to preach your gospel because your gospel changes lives. Changes hearts. You know, the human laws are good and they need to be enforced, but they normally don't change hearts, right? Gospel changes hearts. That's where you get the source of things. Lord, help us to preach the gospel. Help us to do justice. Help us to be part of rescuing the the oppressed and those who are crushed by the wicked people of this world. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet and to do what you want us to do while we're still here. Help us not to give up hope. Help us not just to shrink and cuddle up in the corner or when we do, just help us not just to stay there, but to get up and do something. Help us to be people who are unafraid and unashamed. And I think sometimes, you know, in in a lot of situations, we're quiet because we don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. And I just wonder at the judgment seat of Christ, is, you know, Jesus going to look at me and say, you know, you had some great opportunities and you could have done some more good, but you were afraid to ruffle people's feathers. And so you let things stand. You let evil win the day because you didn't want to pay the price of doing good. Because you wanted, you cared more about relational capital than you did about justice. So may God help us to be brave. May God help us to be brave. Heavenly Father, we love you and, and we praise you and Lord... We confess we're not all that we should be. We confess that we don't stand for truth and justice and righteousness in every way that we should. And we confess, Lord, that we allow 
ourselves to become afflicted and infected by things we should not. So Lord, help us in our personal lives, individually, collectively, to say no to sin, to say no to the evil that's in this world, whether it's a little evil or a big evil. Help us to be righteous before you. And help us to have the braveness and the boldness to speak truth and to do justice. Help us to love mercy and to walk humbly with you as you've instructed us to. Help us not to be proud or arrogant or think better than, but God, help us to appreciate all the mercy we've been given. For your name, for your glory, we ask it, dear Jesus precious name. Amen.